Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Listeners, welcome back to Buried Motives. Thank you for joining us today. We are excited, and I can't believe it's already the end of February. I know. How is this even possible? But I am happy because spring is arriving and I can get on to doing different things. Melissa, on the other hand, she's always doing the same thing. It's not always the same thing. (laughs) It is so. Every time I ask her, What are you doing this weekend? You want to get together? Sorry, we have hockey. She is 100% a hockey mom. It's true. I love hockey. The arena is actually my happy place. Even though it's cold, it's my happy place. That's good because you're there a lot. (laughs) And I'm not dissing it at all. She's just such an amazing mom that she supports her son so much in his hockey time. I love cheering from the stands. Just the other night, we were actually joking around at the kitchen table about what level of hockey I would not want to watch. And the answer is none. Now that one of my sons is refing. I still go and watch his refing games just so I can watch the little guys. They are so cute. <laughs> that is cute. With their little sellies, they just bring me so much joy just to sit and watch and cheer for them. I don't even know what a selly is. <laughs> a celebration. When oh. They- oh, I was like, is that hockey equipment? I don't know. <laughs> when they're doing their big, like, I watch this little goalie and he's got his hands up in the air. He's trying to get the crowd to cheer for him as he takes his net. It was oh. amazing. And are they playing music while this happens? Yes. They're oh, all yeah. doing their little bum wiggles. and I can understand the hype. Yeah. I just love all hockey. It doesn't even matter if it's competitive or not. It's true, you guys. When we go out with our husbands, the four of us, sometimes we're sitting there in a pub or someplace where there's games playing and all of them are watching and they're all talking about sports. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. (laughs) So fun. Sorry. (laughs) It's all right. I do find the competition really exciting. And embarrassingly, last weekend, I was that crazy hockey mom. (laughs) Oh, you were? I was. Well, it wasn't so bad. I was watching the play develop and, of course, I watched the goalie as the play develops and one of our players lined up perfectly for a screenshot and I was already on my feet cheering because I could already see that he had the goalie beat. Oh, (laughs) Thankfully, it did go in, so my premature cheering wasn't as noticeable. But you didn't look that much like a crazy woman. That's right. But there have been times that it didn't work out that way. I usually try to stay pretty quiet at the game. But sometimes I just get so involved with it that I don't even realize that I'm monologuing out loud to myself the play-by-plays. Oh, I could totally see you doing that. Yeah. I'm going to have to come just to watch you, not even necessarily the hockey. I do get quite involved in the game. And there have been some people that I've bumped while I've pulled away from imaginary hits or I stick my foot out or my hand trying to make a save. (laughs) Just another reason why I love you, Melissa. People that know me just give me some room because sometimes I am that crazy hockey parent. As long as you're not breaking into a fight in the stands, I think it's okay. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. Yet. <laughs> Listeners, we might be asking you for bail money if that happens. <laughs> I just love sports, though. I think there are so many valuable lessons that can be learned from competing. Oh, for sure. Unfortunately, though, the lessons learned in today's case by a sports-minded family were completely tragic. 
Oh, we've not covered a case like this. Is this like cheerleading mom level? It's not mom level. We're going to talk about a very intense sports dad today. Ooh. William Arthur Butterfield Jr. was born on April 8th, 1950 to Arthur, whose first name was also William, and Lorin Butterfield. William Jr. was affectionately called Billy, and as he grew older, it was shortened to Bill. His father and mother provided well for him and his sister, owning and operating Dallas Waste Mill. But Bill had bigger dreams than the Waste Mill. He was athletically gifted and dreamed of making it as a pro football star. Football, hockey, sports parents can all be crazy. <laughs> Doesn't matter which sport. Exactly. As a teenager, Bill designed his own workout routines in an effort to reach his goals. He would wear ankle weights while running six miles a day up and down the Trinity River levees in Dallas to improve his endurance and lifted weights to increase his strength every day. Wow, that's dedication. It is. He was super serious about his training. All of his training, though, did pay off in the mid-1960s when he achieved star running back status for the Carter Riverside High School, playing for the Ammon Carter Eagles. Bill earned the nickname Butt. Butt? Like in, I like big butts? Uh-huh. And you cannot lie? <laughs> yes. I know it doesn't sound too flattering at first, but there were some good explanations given to how he had gotten that name. Apparently at his football games, he was not afraid to tuck his head and use it to hit people, like a battering ram. He butt-ended people who tried to tackle him. He was fearless in his tackles. Others joke that it was because Bill could be so butt-headed and stubborn in the pursuit of his goals, and that's how he had earned the name. Either way, the nickname stuck. Bill's shrewd breakdown of the strategies of the game and his natural leadership skills inspired his teammates and made him a coach's dream. To the girls, it was his toned athletic body and James Dean looks that were the attraction. Oh, I can imagine. Uh-huh. Especially when he was touring in his 55 Chevy or breaking out his guitar and singing at talent contests. Oh, come on, get out. I know. Doesn't he just sound amazing? <laughs> he sounds dreamy, as the girls would say. Yes. Star athlete, good body, guitar player, and can sing. Yes. That's a panty dropper right there. <laughs> You're so right, Christy. <laughs> Bill was living the all-American dream as a teenager. He was a popular, hardworking, talented athlete, taking his game to the next level in front of recruiting scouts that promised him a bright future. While he managed decent grades in school, he banked on his final football season, cinching him the spot at college. From there, he had his sights set on playing for the Dallas Cowboys, with the crowds all cheering for butt. That's amazing. <laughs> Everybody likes some butt. Who doesn't? <laughs> Okay, this is going in a different direction than I thought it was going to today. I just love the nickname. Like, really? That was your nickname? But. And he was proud of it. You know you're a confident guy to pull off that kind of nickname. Because that could be what a bully would call some kid. Mm -hmm. But he used it completely to his advantage. Nice. He had crowds cheering for it. And he was dead set on realizing his goal as a pro athlete. Well, it sounds like he was on his way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the only thing, though, that he had his sights set on. Bill, in his sophomore year, noticed the gorgeous cheerleader, Kathy Adams. Ah, uh, I knew that had to play in. Of course. You've got this all-American football king, and he needs a queen. Exactly. And who else than a cheerleader? Oh, yeah. I'm sure the girls were all drooling all over him. Oh, they were. Except for Kathy. At first, she was a little bit put off by how serious Bill was about his training. And she thought he could get worked up pretty easily. But he was a charming football player and was a catch in all of the girls' eyes. 
The two began to date, and their teenage romance sounded like a rom-com. They were considered the ideal couple, voted favorites of their sophomore class. Kathy would cheer for Bill at the games, and he would smile back at her. And just like a teenage movie, they would meet on the field after games, and Bill would teach Kathy how to throw the ball. Aw, that's cute. It is cute. And apparently throwing the football around can be very romantic. Because she got pregnant? (laughs) Yes. I was half joking. No, she totally did. Throwing the football proved to be an aphrodisiac because when the lights went down one night on the 50-yard line, Bill broke his team's no temptations rule after a night of cruising with Kathy in the car and a visit to the field. And once was all it took to change the lives of Bill and Kathy forever. Their baby was conceived on the 50-yard line. Yes. This is amazing. Is that not right out of a movie? It really is. And their first time and she gets pregnant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a movie. If this child turns into an athlete, it was basically like from the time of conception. If you're being conceived on the 50-yard line, what is your life going to be? That's true. I'm just guessing by your prelude to this. Mm -hmm. It was the summer of 1967, and Bill and Kathy's senior year was just about to start. And Kathy was pregnant. In the 1960s, this was a scandal, especially to Kathy's very religious parents. The two were married almost immediately at the county courthouse. Oh, wow. It wasn't about what the two teenagers wanted, and it wasn't about love. It was just about doing the right thing. So do you know if they wanted to, or if it was just, you have to do this? It sounded like more, you have to do this. Probably before they even had time to digest what was actually happening. Oh, absolutely. And to give you an idea of just what big news this was, when word spread about the couple's hushed wedding, it sent shockwaves through the city. And the Fort Worth Press ran a news article about it. No way. Mm -hmm. Because of what it meant for the team's upcoming season. Well, because he was the hero of the whole town. Yes. Under the headline, Wedding Bills Cripple Wings of the Eagles, the newspaper announced the death of Bill's football career. After spending his whole life working towards one goal, spending hours training and drinking 10 raw eggs every morning, his dream was just gone. That doesn't even make sense. Just because he's married, he can't play football? Exactly. As a married student, he was no longer eligible to play varsity sports. Really? Mm -hmm. That is shocking. It was the 1960s. Hopefully that doesn't apply anymore. Not that we hope that our seniors in high school are getting married. And having babies. Yeah, that is wild. So it literally did prevent him from playing. He wasn't allowed. And without playing his final year, there would be no scouts offering him any college scholarships now. And that's how he had banked to go on to college. Wow, that one night just changed the whole trajectory of his life. Uh Uh-huh. Kathy and Bill moved into a tiny duplex and transferred to Fort Worth Christian School for their senior year. In 1967, Kathy delivered a healthy baby boy and named him William Butterfield III, and they called him Billy. Bill tried to maintain his love for football after they graduated by returning to the school to help coach in his spare time. But there really wasn't a lot of that. He's a new husband and a new father. He didn't have a lot of spare time. No, now he has to provide. He did have to provide. And as a way to support his family, he reluctantly began to work for his dad's disposable rag business. Bill was a responsible guy, and he wasn't going to shirk his duties. But that didn't mean he was going to do it happily. Bill's feelings about the situation were not a secret. Kathy would later say that, quote, I don't know what Bill resented more, having to marry his pregnant girlfriend or having to work for his father. Ooh. It sounded like there was never a honeymoon phase in this couple's marriage. 
the rom-com romance had died with Bill's football prospects. That would be really hard on both of them because she's not getting what she wanted out of life either. No, neither one of them were. And knowing that Kehi probably resents me would be really tough. I'm feeling like it was all your fault. Yeah. It would be so difficult to live with a man that you knew resented you. Mm-hmm. In the early 70s, the Dallas Cowboys hosted an open tryout. Anyone could come and display their talents. If they impressed the coaches, then they could earn their spot on the team's roster. Bill had never stopped training, fitting in workouts as best he could around family life, and he felt like this was his second chance. But I feel he must have had some nagging feelings of doubt when he entered the tryouts, because he hid weights in his shoes to make up for some of the muscle weight that he had lost. His trick hadn't given him enough of an edge, though. He had missed several years of gameplay, which made a difference, and he was cut during the first round. Ooh, ouch. That is a big ouch, considering he was the star athlete and then was cut first round. Yeah, and he probably had all his eggs in this basket thinking, this is my redemption. Mm-hmm. Kathy says that when he returned that night, the frustration he had felt was clear. She tried to comfort him and give him a hug, but he wouldn't allow her to. Instead, he struck her so hard in the chest with his fist that she thought her breasts were going to cave in. Are you serious? He yelled obscenities at her, and he told her to keep away from him. Oh, what a dirtbag. Well, it was clear that he blamed Kathy for the way his life turned out. No, honey, you were just as equally to blame for where your life was. Mm-hmm. Sadly, she took that blame on herself. Aw. The violence in the marriage would be a slow burn over the years, but divorce for this couple was never an option. In 1971, Kathy gave birth to the couple's second child, a little girl they called Sandy. Having two children didn't make the world any less stressful, and the violence in the home, unknown to everyone else, would increase. Kathy tried once to flee, packing Billy and Sandy up in the car and driving to her parents' home. When Bill returned and found her note, he was irate. He showed up at her parents' house and nearly took the door off the hinges as he burst in, telling Kathy that she had no right to take his kids away, that they were his. Oh my goodness. You would think he almost would have been relieved. Like, okay, I can get my life back. Because he sure wasn't acting like he was enjoying the life that he had. No, but his children he thought were his possessions. When Kathy's father tried to intervene, she watched as her husband threw her former protector against the wall, telling him to stay out of their business. The altercation cemented for Kathy that there would be no leaving Bill. That if she ever left him, that he would just find them. And she couldn't ask anyone for help because they could be hurt like her father had been. That is so sad. What a drastic turn. Yeah. Kathy and the children returned home and Kathy committed herself to making as normal of a life as possible for her children. She made their home a perfect picture of domestic bliss that could rival any article that she read about in Good Housekeeping. She dressed the children exactly how Bill liked, cooked the meals that Bill liked, she exercised and cleaned like Bill liked, everything was what Bill liked, and she did it all with a smile. One neighbor would later recount that while driving past the couple's home one day, he saw Kathy wearing a rubber suit with a rope tied around her waist. The other end of the rope was tied to the back of the car that Bill was just getting into. When she saw the neighbor raise an eyebrow, Kathy cheerfully waved back to him and explained that Bill was just helping her lose some weight. Bill pulled Kathy around the block as she ran full speed trying to keep up. The whole time, the neighbor reported that Kathy smiled, as if this was just the most normal thing in the world. Oh my goodness! That's terrible! He would drag her with the car. And she's in a 
rubber suit so that she's going to sweat more. Mm -hmm. My goodness, how terrifying that would be. One little misstep and then you're being drugged and injured. Right. But for Kathy, it almost seemed like the more terrifying thing was somebody finding out that everything wasn't perfect. Right. Well, when he threw her dad against the wall, she realized that she could put other people in danger if they tried to intervene. That's right. And so she thought a smile could make Bill's obsessive nature normal. That is so sad. There's so much, not only physical abuse, but emotional abuse that's going on there. And it made me wonder, how many times do you see a stranger's smile? What's behind it? True. This was not the first, and it wouldn't be the last of Bill's strange exercise routines. He was obsessed about fitness, sports, and nutrition. Billy and Sandy and their brother Lance, who had joined the family in 1977, soon adopted their mother's style to cope with their father's behavior that could change at the drop of a hat. Sandy would later say, quote, He pretty much controlled everything that went on in the house, everything we ate, everything we did. It was like walking around on eggshells. We just tried real hard not to do anything wrong. What a tyrant. No kid should grow up that way. But I think it's an understandable way to cope with Bill's parenting philosophy. Since his children were born, Bill was insistent that they grow up to have a sense of discipline. He felt that a lack of discipline had been what had ruined his life, and he wanted more for his children. So at all costs, he was going to teach his children discipline. And I can kind of see how that became such a priority for him. Yeah, but I'm not buying it. You don't care a lick about your children or you wouldn't be doing that. It's really twisted in his brain. Yeah, it's all about him. Sadly, his theory on discipline was that, quote, you raise a child like you raise a dog. You beat them until they obey. Oh, what a demon. The children would be berated and yelled at and slapped for minor childish mistakes like spilling a drink or touching things that weren't theirs. As they got older, Bill began regularly beating them with a three-and-a-half-foot paddle that was three-quarters of an inch thick. It was solid oak, and Bill would walk down the hall menacingly, slapping the palm of his hand with it. There was no second-guessing what was coming next. In turn, he would tell the children to put their hands on the edge of their bed and bend over. When they were young, the children would cry, but soon they learned that this just made the paddle come down harder. Sometimes he would make Kathy do the paddling. If she didn't take a full swing, he would grab her by the hair and scream obscenities in her face, demanding that she hit them again harder, saying that it was her that had taught her children to disobey, and so she needed to fix it. Oh my goodness, so this whole family is just living in a constant state of fear. Hmm? Bill's rule over his house was complete and cemented right from the very beginning. Oh, Kathy and the children did whatever he demanded so that Bill wouldn't become more angry. Someone needed to take that paddle and teach him a lesson. It's just so sad. Oh, it's heartbreaking. One of the things that did keep Bill preoccupied and somewhat happy was sports. He proudly sported his sweats and his Nike cross trainers and was always the go-to guy about anything sports related. He was passionate about them and became convinced that he would be able to coach his children to great heights. Thinking after all, they had his genetic makeup for pure talent and he would ensure that they were disciplined enough to work hard for their goals. Or his goals, depending on who you're talking to. I'm sure it was his goals, because even if the kids showed an interest, it was probably just to please their father. It would have been a really blurred line. Mm -hmm. Bill truly believed that sports, along with his beatings, were the best way to instill discipline. When Billy entered the second grade, Bill determined that it was time his son started taking his sports career seriously. 
In grade two? Yeah. It coincided with the time that Billy started playing Little League Baseball. It was reported that, quote, Bill set up daily workouts for him, having him do pull-ups from the top bar of the swing set and then run wind sprints in the yard. He later taught Billy how to be a switch hitter, and he took him to the park and pitched batting practice to him for hours while Kathy, Sandy, and Lance, who was then just a toddler, shagged balls in the outfield. And so Billy would have been only around eight years old at this time. Yeah, and he would train for hours and hours. Sandy was also made to play softball and basketball, but for Bill, cheerleading was where it was at for her. He told her if she wanted to be a cheerleader like her mom, she would need to get a better body. What? Yes. As a little kid? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? He was very obsessed with their fitness and their diet regime. But she's a little kid. That really angers me, actually, because especially as a little girl, she's going to go through some changes before puberty that is going to maybe pack on some weight in different areas. Well, and it seems like this was all happening throughout her life. Sandy's friends would later recall that when they went to Sandy's house for sleepovers, that before they were even allowed in, Bill would inspect their bags to make sure they weren't sneaking in contraband like sweets or pop. Those things just weren't on Sandy's diet. When Bill became unsure if Sandy had been following his rules, he would dictate bathroom times and then examine stool. What? And he would do this for other family members as well. So, okay, Miss Nurse, can you tell if someone's had pop or candy by their stool? Uh, No. (laughs) I'm sure you could tell if they had lots of fats and things like that, but you're not going to be able to tell that, oh, you had a pop today, unless I guess it changed color. If you had a bright blue Slurpee, your poop might go green. Really? Yeah. He felt that there was some correlation, and so that's why he examined their stool. Wow. Thinking that he could figure out if they were still following his rules. Listeners, I bet you didn't believe we were going to be discussing poop today. Bill's overbearing nature flowed over into the sports field as well. He would frequently share his ideas with his children's coaches and other parents on the team. And he was actually pretty fantastic about critiquing plays and players and offering suggestions for improvement. No, nothing's fantastic about him. He was, though. He could pick apart and analyze a kid's play and determine like, oh, this is what he needs to work on. He was really good at it. When Billy transferred to Richland High School for the sports program, Bill was voted in as the Boosters Club president. Attendance at the club went way up because Bill was so engaging as he explained the dynamics of the team's plays to the parents. They said he was even better at it than the coaches. Oh, I do believe that. This was what he was living and breathing. It was definitely what he was passionate about. Parents and coaches alike believed that Bill was a talented mentor whose kids were lucky to have him train them, even if his behavior was a little over the top at times. At the baseball diamond, when it was Billy's turn to bat, he would watch his swing from right behind the backstop, openly critiquing for all to hear. If the umps made a bad call, everyone would hear about it. At a youth league football game, Bill disagreed with the referee's call and became so irate that he charged onto the field grabbed the football from the ref, and hucked it off into outer darkness. Whoa. He stomped off, and everyone was surprised by his actions, but nobody really thought anything of it because it was just Bill, and Bill was just a really competitive guy. He's just walking around life, doing whatever he wants without any consequence. Did seem that way. His competitiveness carried over and into everything. 
Wade Parkley, one of Billy's friends from high school, said that during a couple's date with Bill and Kathy, the four of them were playing cards and Bill threw an absolute temper tantrum after he and Kathy lost just the first hand. Bill threw the cards at Kathy and called her derogatory names. Wade and his wife were shocked by this, but Kathy just shrugged it off, smiling, and said she was sorry. She was the one that apologized. Aww. Then she and Bill just act like nothing had ever happened. So the other couple just followed suit and pretended like it hadn't happened either. Because Bill just liked to win. Whoa. I am competitive when we play games, as you know. You are. (laughs) (laughs) But that is crossing a line. It was, but everybody just kind of accepted his behavior. Under Bill's intense supervision, his children did become accomplished athletes. Before leaving high school, Billy was a starter on both the baseball and football fields, and Sandy had become a cheerleader just like her mom. Lance, though, was by far the most accomplished. Interestingly, it had actually taken Bill a long time to even notice his second son's natural talents. Lance was several years younger than his siblings, and while he had begun the same training as Billy in grade two, he didn't catch his father's eye that much. Bill was just too focused on making Billy into his all-star. Friends of the family would say that while Bill would work for hours at the park with Billy, on some technical aspect of one game or another, Lance, even as a toddler, was left to play for hours by himself unattended. The family often joked about how many times Bill would forget about Lance and leave him behind at the park. Oh. And that would be an ongoing thing throughout his life. That just irritates me because I feel like he's only caring about his children because of what they can give to him, what they can do for him. He was just so focused on Billy because Billy's going to be the star athlete. And it's like, Lance who? Mm Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, if you care about your children, you're not going to leave them at a park repeatedly. We can give every parent a pass. You might do it once. Okay. I have done it once. Yeah, that's what I mean. It can happen and we're not judging. But when you're not even paying attention to them and you leave them multiple times at that park. And we're not talking older child. Lance was a toddler when this started. That's terrible. For another toddler, it would have been hugely concerning. But for the Butterfield children... They were incredibly well-behaved, even as small children. Oh, yeah. They knew if they weren't, they were going to get it. Exactly. Lance rarely left the spot he was told to play in. Other parents would fawn over the children's polite manners and docile temperaments and their dedication to their schoolwork, wishing that their own children could be more like the Butterfield children. Of all the children, Lance was the most quiet. Kathy referred to her youngest child as, quote, the gentle child. She told stories of how cute he was bringing in butterflies and catching little animals in the house and having to release them outside because he couldn't squash them. He was just so gentle. Well, he had lived in chaos and it was probably his only reprieve. And they had learned that we have to be quiet. We have to be perfect or dad's going to get upset. Exactly. And so when they went out into public, they really were perfect. Wow. And it all just kind of went along with the facade that Kathy had created. She made sure that they were perfectly dressed. Their hair was always neatly in place. Nothing was awry with this family from the outside. Bill's blind spot for Lance would fade during the family Christmas vacation in 1991. The family had a tradition of visiting Colorado for the holidays. And that year, while sitting in Brown's country store and enjoying a meal, Bill was approached by college football coach Scott Brown, whose father owned the store. Brown had been at the Horned Frogs football camp in Texas that Lance had attended at the insistence of his father as part of his training the previous summer. 
This interaction would change Bill's opinion of his youngest son and have a tragic effect on the Butterfield family. There are differing reports about how the interaction went down. From Bill's point of view, which he would proudly boast about later, the coach had recognized Lance because he had shown so much promise out of the group of kids that had attended the camp. According to Bill, Coach Brown had said that Lance could read the game better than most his age and that he was not afraid to take or give a hit, but said that Lance needed to bulk up. Bill would proudly quote the coach's words, If your boy keeps his head on straight, he's going to have a great future. From Brown's point of view, he approached the family because Lance had been wearing the hat from the camp he had just attended and had only been being friendly as he struck up a conversation with a family that was dining in his father's restaurant. So this actually didn't take place, this conversation. Well, the conversation did take place, but how it was perceived was very different from different people. Right. To the coach, the topic of football just naturally came up during this chance conversation. And he said he was just saying some nice things about Lance's pursuit of football. It was a huge generalization, a practice lots and you'll do well type thing. It was a nicety. Yeah. In an interview later, he said, quote, I have a tendency to be a positive person. I may have said the boy was a good player with a fine future, but I probably would have said that to dozens of parents and kids under similar circumstances. That makes sense. But Bill just heard what he wanted to hear, and my son is better than everybody else. I have a star on my hands. It was like light bulbs going off for Bill. Here's my all-star. This is a recipe for disaster. Wade, Bill's friend, who had been there during the conversation, said he tried for hours to convince his friend that Brown was simply being polite. But Bill had already heard all he wanted to hear. After, Kathy said that, quote, Bill had always been very serious with the boys when it came to sports, but that meeting, that conversation triggered something even more in him. Oh, which is so sad because it was such an innocent thing. Mm -hmm. The guy was just being nice. But Bill started to think about his younger son in a way that he hadn't before and mentally checked off boxes in his head about Lance's prospects as a football star. Lance was fast. Check. Lance had sure hands, check. Lance was tough, check. Lance was naturally good at sports and had always enjoyed his workout routines, unlike Billy, and Lance was obedient, check. All of the checked boxes led to one conclusion for Bill. Lance would be the star that he was supposed to have been. Bill couldn't believe that he hadn't really connected it all before. He and Kathy had even named Lance after her favorite football player, Hall of Fame wide receiver Lance Allworth. So to him, these were all just confirmation. Of course, it's going to be Lance. Why didn't I see this sooner? The 13-year-old Lance was Bill's last hope, and Bill was determined to succeed. For the next four and a half years, Lance and Bill would both work very hard on making Lance a football star. One author that wrote about this time in Bill and Lance's relationship said that Bill's involvement with Lance's training and football career, quote, made Earl Woods, Richard Williams, and Marv Marinovich, America's poster parents for building children, Tiger, Venus, Serena, and Todd into athletic superstars, seem like disinterested observers. Whoa. Yeah. He was very intense. Because he was several years younger than his siblings, by the time Lance started junior high school in 1989, he was the only child left at home. Billy had gone off to play second base at college in Colorado. While in college, he had made the decision, much to Bill's dismay, to give up baseball and get married. 
Billy, as an adult, had started to learn that he didn't have to be obedient to everything his father demanded, and he had started to push back. Good for him. Sandy had moved on from cheerleading, and at this time she was studying at Texas Tech University. It's great that they were able to get out from underneath their father's thumb, but I can see how then this would almost cause him to hyper-focus on Lance. He already thinks, oh, this is my golden child, my star. And he now has all this extra time to just focus in and zero in on his youngest son. Exactly. An attention that was focused solely on Lance playing football. Bill's job as the manager for the mattress manufacturing factory took a back seat. Instead, Kathy would be the main one that would leave for work every day and manage their family business while Bill stayed home. Bill oversaw Lance's training using the methods that he had developed for Billy. He attended every one of Lance's football practices, not just games, but practices, watching and critiquing from the sidelines. He made Kathy videotape every game and would spend hours reviewing the tapes with Lance, sometimes until 2 a.m. in the morning. In the off-season, he oversaw Lance's baseball and 100-meter track training. He insisted in school that Lance get straight A's, because that would make him a better prospect for college. He even converted the family's garage into a state-of-the-art weight room, spending over $10,000. He installed floodlights in the backyard so that even darkness couldn't interfere with his son's training. Wow. This has become an obsession for him. Oh, he's completely obsessed. He began overseeing Lance's diet like he had Kathy and Sandy's. The only difference was is that Lance had to beef up. He made his son eat raw eggs every morning and prescribed the meals that Kathy would cook for supper. If it was steak and potatoes that he wanted every night, that's what Kathy would cook. She would smile the whole time trying to help Lance achieve Bill's goals to keep the peace and lessen Bill's outbursts. And I'm sure at the same time that she's having to cook meat and potatoes and eat that every night, she's expected to keep her womanly figure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's reasonable. Not a lot that Bill did was reasonable. When Bill thought Lance might be cheating on his diet, he would examine Lance's stool too. And what an invasion of privacy! Like, my goodness! They had no privacy. He fed Lance weight-gaining protein shakes and fistfuls of vitamins and supplements to help him bulk up. And all the reports that I read, except for one, said supplements and didn't elaborate. One did say steroids. So I don't know if it was steroids, but definitely lots of supplements. Some of the reports said up to 10 pills a day. He was feeding his child, who was still growing. Yeah, this can't be good. No. This isn't just our multivitamin that we're talking about. No, it was a lot of supplements. So much so that it was actually a joke on the football team that Bill was now Dr. Butterfield. Bill even took to concocting his own remedies for injuries without regard to what professional trainers or doctors had to say. Once, when Lance had a rotator cuff injury from a tackle, he hesitated to mention it to his dad because of the home remedies. Another time, Lance had to see an orthopedist for a broken foot. Bill lectured the specialist about what the treatment should be to the point that the doctor got cheeky and responded to him that he didn't really even know why Bill had brought Lance in at all, other than to enlighten him. Oh my goodness. He was just a big fat know-it-all. He was, especially with sports and fitness and exercise routines. His nickname of butt is taking a whole new meaning. Yeah. Bill oversaw everything in Lance's life, especially his social life. He didn't want Lance getting distracted. If Lance asked to go out with friends, Bill would only allow him to go out after he had hit a specific number of balls in the family's personal full-size batting cages that he had installed for Billy. Lance never questioned or complained about this, though. 
because he didn't want to make his father angry. He had learned from a very early age that this would trigger his father's anger, and he avoided that at all costs. If Lance made a mistake while batting, it wasn't uncommon for Bill to aim the machine at his head. Oh. Yeah. And he had purchased professional-grade pitching machines, ones that threw up to 95 kilometers an hour. Oh, my goodness. That could be very dangerous. So dangerous. One time while doing batting practice with his dad, Wade showed up right as Bill was, quote, correcting Lance's inattention. And Wade watched as the balls just pelted off of Lance's body. He interrupted and asked his friend what the heck he thought he was doing. And Bill just looked surprised with this uh, no-duh expression and said, quote, this is a concentration drill. Kathy at this time was also watching, horrified from in the house, wanting to do something. But when Bill saw her in the window, she just snuck away. She knew not to question his teaching methods. That would be so heartbreaking as a mom. Wade said he watched in amazement, though, as Lance just resumed his stance and said, quote, I'm sorry, Dad. I'll do it right this time. Could you imagine getting pelted with 95 kilometer an hour balls? No. And then saying, okay, let's go. And just knowing that you can't even make one mistake. How does Bill not realize that practice makes perfect? That you're allowed to make mistakes and we grow and learn from those. Well, Lance learned quickly to get out of the way of the speeding balls and to always pay attention and avoid any kind of mistakes he could. Not that he made a lot of mistakes. His coaches described Lance as a perfectionist, saying, quote, When he made even the smallest mistake, he would hang his head in embarrassment. We didn't have to get on him because he was already so hard on himself. Oh, yeah, he's grown up with these unrealistic expectations. Well, and to him, being perfect is a safety thing. It even goes past pleasing his dad. It was absolute safety in his house. Right. And when he was perfect, I bet that Bill was love bombing him. Mm -hmm. So it was probably such a drastic change between when I've made a simple little mistake to when I'm acting perfectly. That's exactly what happened. Oh, this is really sad. In Lance's social life, Bill monitored his son's movements from home to school and then to his part-time job at the family company and in his activities with his friends. And he definitely discouraged dating. Their parents' indiscretion was a secret that Kathy and Bill had kept from their children. But it's not too hard to guess why Bill didn't want Lance dating. He told Lance to limit his extracurricular activities to sports, saying, quote, You don't want those girls turning you into their pacifier. Ooh. Clearly, he viewed girls as the enemy. Oh, yeah, totally. He blamed his wife for ruining his life. Mm -hmm. As Lance neared his final years in high school and the hype around his sports performances increased, so did Bill's obsession. Friends and family started to notice that Bill's behavior started to decline. His temper became more volatile and his nutrition habits became more bizarre. He became so anxious during baseball games that he found that he couldn't even watch in the stands, even with anti-anxiety meds. Wade suggested getting help, but Bill refused. Wade said Bill went from, quote, a guy I always kiddingly said was crazy to a guy who was crazy. Bill followed unusual diets, drinking Paul Newman salad dressing, and at one point only eating Rice Krispies. When he developed kidney pain and was given Vicodin, the use evolved into a habit. While attending Lance's football practice at the start of his senior year in 1995, Bill noticed looks passing between Lance and a pretty brunette junior that was jogging around the football field. Bill's laser focus had seen the truth. 
Lance and Kim Maywald did have a budding romance. The two had computer class together and had taken to walking in the halls at the school hand in hand. Lance was completely smitten with his first girlfriend. He bought stuffed animals and wrote cheesy teenage love notes calling Kim his, quote, little cowgirl or his, quote, snuggle bunny. Aww. Lance knew the importance, though, of keeping this relationship away from his father. So he and Kim would meet together at different locations or park remotely off so that they would never be seen, just so that they could spend time together. But teenage love is usually pretty obvious to those around them. Mm -hmm. And Bill, while watching practice, had picked up on this. He began to trail Lance even more whenever he left the house. And when he learned where Kim lived, he would sit outside her house and watch her. Sometimes he would make Kathy come on his spy missions, and he would rage about how Kim was going to ruin everything for them. Kathy would later say that Bill, quote, was worried that Lance would throw it all away, that Lance would lose his chance at playing some sports in college. In Bill's mind, that's what had happened to him and to Billy. A stupid girl had gotten in the way. This is so frustrating because Bill, there's more to life than sports. Like, it's so sad. He has this beautiful wife, these children that just want to please him, and he can't see it. He has this perfect life, and he's just oblivious to it all. When Lance missed an interception attempt in the third game of the season, Bill was devastated. He went to the coach and told him he was convinced that Lance had other things on his mind, but he promised the coach that he would get him back on track. So he's blaming Kim, Lance's first girlfriend. Mm Mm-hmm. The coach tried to reassure Bill that it was just one mistake. Lance had actually had a pretty good game. It was one interception that he missed. But Bill just wouldn't pay attention to him at all. Bill ordered Lance to break up with Kim and drove him over to her house on the night of her birthday. Oh, He was actually having a party. And Lance was like, can we just wait for another night? And Bill grabbed him and reminded him never to talk back to him and sent him right up to her front door. That's really sad. A tearful Lance stood on the front porch and tried to explain why their relationship was over and that his father said that he couldn't even look at her in school. When Kim made the argument that Lance was 18 at this time and that his dad couldn't control his life forever, Kim recalled that Lance had told her, quote, I know, I know, but you don't know what my dad can be like. After that breakup, Lance threw himself into training and performing and was soon named Player of the Week by the Fort Worth paper confirming to Bill that it was the relationship that was the problem. In reality, Lance and Kim had still tried to have their relationship. They were just a lot more careful about it to keep it secret. Oh, so they were still seeing each other. They were. They saw each other only at school, or sometimes they would meet together in darkened movie theaters, but they wouldn't go together. They would meet there separately. It was a real Romeo and Juliet. It did seem that way. What a fool Bill is, because he's like, oh, look. My son is doing so much better now that there's no girls in the way. And little did he know his son was falling in love. Mm -hmm. I'm happy for Lance, but I'm worried how this is going to turn out. It is shocking how it turns out. Because Bill wasn't easily fooled. He had continued to stalk his son and Kim. When Kim's parents caught Bill watching Kim outside of their house, they notified the North Richland Hills Police Department. But even this didn't deter Bill. Instead, he rented another vehicle so he wasn't as conspicuous as he stalked these two teens. Lance became aware of the rental car tactic when he was driving with another friend. Bill pulled up so closely to them 
probably trying to see if Kim was there that the two boys could clearly see who it was. And they actually thought he intended to run them off the road. That's how close he was to their bumper. Ooh. Bill's behavior escalated. And in October, Lance fled his home to a friend's house asking if he could stay the night after having an altercation with Bill. When Kathy called the friend's house, Bill could be heard in the background cursing and throwing things. But Lance dutifully returned home when asked. Only a few weeks later, he showed up at another friend's house, this time only half-dressed in the freezing cold with bruises around his neck. When he explained that Bill had tried to strangle him, the Pritchards, his friend's parents, told Lance that he could stay with them as long as he wanted. But again, Kathy called, and Lance was overheard saying, quote, Mom, I'll come home for you. Lance knew his father's anger, and he knew if he didn't go home, that anger would be redirected to his mom. He, along with his siblings, had seen his father beat Kathy many times. That is so sad that they're having to worry about that. It's so unfortunate that she felt like she was in a place where she couldn't leave as well. It's such a bizarre interconnectedness that happens between an abused child and an abused parent and the abuser. Really true. Bill continued to spiral and spent more and more time reminiscing about the past, visiting the football field at night, and telling friends that that's where everything had ended for him, right there on the 50-yard line. This guy is so terrible. He makes me so angry. Like, grow up and get over yourself. He could have had a beautiful life if he had just moved on. He stayed up late into the night writing in a journal. Kathy had assumed that he had been writing football plays and workout regimes. It was something that he had always done throughout their marriage. Always telling her things like, quote, Lance is going to make it, Kathy. He's my last chance. He's going to make it. But in November, when Kathy found his notebook while cleaning, it was much more disturbing than football plays. Written over and over were Bill's laments about his unrealized dreams. One page read, quote, This involves or is the past. On another page, quote, everything stems from the past. Another page said, quote, junior summer, pain every summer since. The final entry read, quote, I have to be able to express my hurt, my pain, my animosity towards you, or I will die, or worse, hurt my kids more than I already have, or us. The Kathy it confirmed what she had thought all along, that Bill resented her for everything, And it confirmed something that she had been thinking. Bill was losing it. Clearly, he is not mentally well. He's not. But at the same time, she just wasn't ready to deal with it. She tucked the journal back into the drawer and hoped that things would change after the season was over. With the other kids, Bill's preoccupation with their lives and training had lessened once they had gone away to school. Lance just had to play well enough to get the Rebels to playoffs, and then everything would go back to normal. So instead of saying anything, Kathy tried to focus on making the upcoming holidays perfect so that nothing would upset Bill. She just tried to continue to appease him so that he wouldn't fly off the handle. Lance grew more recluse, staying in his bedroom most of the time to try and stay out of his father's way. When he did interact with him, he just followed his commands. That's how life continued in the Butterfield home until the first round of playoffs for the football season. As Lance's team entered the first round, they were the clear favorites. They had dominated the season and won their district championship. But the team fell apart. No one played well, including Lance. In a twist of fate, the underdogs beat the Rebels 45-28. to 28. Ooh. 
After the game, everyone waited for Bill's reaction as he clenched his fists in the stands. That says a lot when everybody is holding their breath looking at this dad. Hmm? But he just shrugged and headed home. They said it was the most bizarre thing to watch. They were all ready for this big fit. And he just shrugged his shoulders and said, that's season, I guess, and walked off. Ooh, that's even more eerie. To the Butterfield's neighbors, the tension appeared to subside after the loss. Bill even let Lance start going to social events without following him. Not that it made much of a difference for Lance and Kim's relationship, though. She had ended things with Lance at the encouragement of her parents because they were uncomfortable with Bill's behavior. Yeah, you can't really blame them, can you? No, not with a guy that's acting like that. At Christmas, Kathy succeeded, though, in creating a picture-perfect holiday. Lance helped her put up the plywood painting of Mr. and Mrs. Claus next to their sidewalk, and they put up another large sign in the yard that read Merry Christmas from the Butterfields. It was a tradition in their neighborhood to have as many outdoor lights and decorations as you could so that other families, sometimes up to hundreds of them, would drive by and admire them. Kathy always made sure that the house was cheerful-looking for the holidays. Sandy, at the time, was staying at home because she was in between apartments, and Billy and his wife came for Christmas Day to celebrate the holiday, so the house was full. Delicious meals were cooked, and gifts were exchanged quietly and perfectly, without incident. By the 27th of December, 1995, everyone had mostly resumed their normal routine. Kathy and Billy were already back at the office, and Bill and Lance were back to running and training every day. That morning, just the two of them were at the house. Early that afternoon on the 27th, Kathy received a frantic call from Sandy just before 1 p.m. Hysterically, Sandy told her mom, quote, Mom, something's happened between Lance and Dad. Not being able to get any more information out of Sandy, Kathy fled the office and raced home. When she got there, she began calling out, even as she was leaving her car, Lance's name, out of fear of what she was going to find. Is Lance all right? She screamed as she ran toward the house. When she burst through the door of their home on Tabor Street, she saw Bill, laying in the hallway of the home with just a pink towel on, barely alive. He had been shot in the back and in the forehead. Bill was airlifted to Harris Methodist Hospital in Fort Worth, but two hours later, he was pronounced dead at the age of 45. I bet that is not who she was expecting to see on the floor. It wasn't. When police arrived at the scene followed by Sandy, they quickly learned that Lance had fled the house just as Sandy was returning home that day, and as he got in his car, he had told the sister that someone was in the house with his father, and that she should call 911 as he sped off. Sandy, fearing this supposed intruder, had fled to the nearest convenience store and called 911, and then called her mom. Lance was found at Kim's house. Her parents called Kathy to say that Lance had shown up at their house hysterical. While questioning the distraught Lance, police soon realized from his answers that there was no intruder and that he was the one that had shot his father. When the interrogating officer suggested slyly that they should pray for Bill, Lance had broken down completely, fully confessing to what had happened the morning at the house in a three-page document saying he would accept whatever punishment was given. That morning, as his dad instructed him, Lance had gone for a run. He ran past Kim's house and decided to talk to her. He tried to explain things to her, and told her that everything was going to be cool with his dad and the two of them had gone for a short run together. When Lance returned home, he realized that again his dad had been following him, and was clearly angry again. After his temper tantrum, his dad went to have a shower. That's when Lance collected the family's thirty-eight caliber revolver that was kept for protection, 
and hid in his bedroom closet. Lance prayed that his father wouldn't come looking for him. So he grabbed the gun in self-defense. He was scared. That's debatable. During his confession, he said he just didn't want his dad to come looking for him. He knew he was going to go into another rant about all of the things that he should be doing. And he said, quote, I just didn't want to talk to him. When Bill got out of the shower, he did exactly what Lance thought he was going to do. He came looking for him, even before he got dressed. Like he just wanted to get right back at him. He was probably stewing about it while he was alone in the shower. Angrily, Bill demanded to know why Lance was still at home and why he hadn't even left for work yet. Lance stood up to his dad, holding the gun wrapped in a towel, saying that he was waiting to take a shower. Bill asked what was underneath the towel that Lance was holding. Lance replied nothing, and then watched his father walk out of his room and into the hallway. Lance followed into the hallway and shot him in the back. Oh. As his father turned, Lance said, I'm sorry, Dad. Bill, now facing his 18-year-old son, told him, quote, call 911. That's when Lance raised the gun a second time, standing only two feet away from him, and this time, looking his father in the face, shot him in the forehead. Oh my goodness. In his confession to the police, Lance outlined every detail that he could remember, but gave no indication for motive. All he said was, quote, It was going through my mind that I could make the pain quit hurting by killing my dad. Lance was arrested the same day and arraigned. Bail was initially set for 50000 Bill's murder rocked the community. They had no idea what was going on in the Butterfield home. So they were shocked to learn that the beloved perfect athlete had shot his father. A father that to most of the community was a supportive and loving father, even if he was an intensely competitive one. The newspaper reported the day after his death that the only thing Bill had ever wanted was the best for his kids. Friends and family and neighbors all argued about what could have driven Lance to do such an awful thing, and the arguments got intense as fault was assigned. At Bill's funeral on December 30th, a couple of pallbearers squabbled over the emerging stories about Bill's abuse. So as they're carrying out his coffin, they're fighting. That's wild. I can see how this would divide the community. It did for a little bit. While everyone fought about the motive, Lance, in jail, was having difficulty coping with what he had done. One psychiatrist who arrived to interview Lance wondered if he was experiencing a kind of post-traumatic stress disorder seen in combat veterans. When Lance met with Randy Price, a well-known forensic psychologist, the boy said, quote, It's not like I killed my father. It's like I don't have a father anymore. The psychologist speculated that Lance was subconsciously disassociating himself from the shooting and drifting deeper into a denial. A day after the funeral, Kathy posted the bail for her son, which the lawyers had negotiated down to just $15,000. Lance was released into her care, and his lawyers made a press statement saying that legal action was postponed until Lance's emotional and psychological needs could be attended to. Wow, that is surprising. I think you'll be shocked with the outcome of this case. On March 27, 1996, Lance was indicted for first-degree murder, but was allowed to remain on the previously posted bail. Kathy, Billy, and Sandy had pleaded that the murder charges be dropped completely, saying that they preferred to handle the situation, quote, as a family matter. Yeah, that doesn't happen with first-degree murder. Yeah. They wanted to keep it private, like they had all the abuse, but obviously that couldn't happen. It wasn't up to them, and the DA felt that a clear message to teens needed to be sent about parricide. Yeah, they can't just let it go. But at the same time, if you were Kathy, 
and your son is in your care, wouldn't you want to skip town and protect him? Like flee to Mexico or somewhere where you could just try and start over? Mm -hmm. Especially because of the guilt she was feeling at the time. Oh, totally. The family wasn't forthcoming about the abuse initially. They didn't want their secrets known. And in a way, they were still under Bill's spell. Lance's defense team would have to spend considerable time trying to convince them that being honest about the abuse would make all the difference in Lance's sentencing. Right up until he appeared on the stand, Lance had refused to say anything about the abuse. In an effort to get him to talk, one of his lawyers asked him to write a letter to his dad. Dutifully, Lance made an attempt. The letter that he was able to write said, quote, Dear Dad, you'll never know how much I admired you. You'll never know how much I loved you. Why weren't you able to love me back? He wrote nothing about the abuse that his lawyers believed was his motivation. It took two years for the trial to begin. While awaiting his trial, Lance completed his high school education through correspondence because he was expelled from high school. After receiving his diploma, he enrolled in local college courses. When the court proceedings did finally start in August of 1997, I'm not sure that they could have been described as impartial. Supporters for Lance filled the courtroom, and they booed as the prosecutor walked down the halls between sessions and openly during his arguments in the courtroom. So they were all behind Lance. Yes. Outside, Lance's friends had gathered and parked their cars around the courthouse that had messages of, quote, good luck, Butter, and we love you, Butter, on the windows. Butter was the nickname that Lance had earned during his football career. His friends knew him as kind and soft-hearted and they believed that Bill was the villain, not their friend, especially as everyone compared notes about Bill and Lance over the two years waiting for the trial to begin. The family's reverend had even included his views on Lance's charges during a sermon on a Sunday. No way! Mm -hmm, saying, quote, two wrongs don't make a right, and encouraged the idea that Lance going to jail was wrong. That's interesting. Of their case, the defense team said that, quote, there was not enough room in the courtroom for all of the people that wanted to testify for Lance. We had his father's best friend, coaches, teachers, Lance's friends, their parents, neighbors, family doctors. We had everybody. Alternatively, there was not one person who wanted to testify for the character of Bill, the victim. One of Bill's only friends, Wade, admitted that, quote, Bill had an addiction to making his son a superstar because in his mind, he had got screwed out of being one himself. Wade felt tremendous guilt for not doing anything about the abuse or his friend's behavior, telling reporters that Kathy had contacted him two weeks before Christmas and asked him to talk to Bill. Wade said he had tried and that he knew he should have done something, but he didn't know what to do. And I found this statement really poignant, because if a grown man can't figure out what to do, then it did make me think, how did Lance ever have a chance to figure out what to do? Yeah, at 18, when his frontal lobe isn't even fully developed and he's lived his whole life being abused by his dad. That's right. Bill's family also supported Lance and didn't want him to even be charged with murder. Bill's own sister would say that he had been a control freak since his high school days, and she was a strong supporter that Lance shouldn't face any jail time, saying that, quote, Lance has been in prison since the day he was born. Lance defended himself. He defended his family. I honestly believed he saved his mother's, brother's, and sister's lives, as well as his own. Eventually, Bill would have killed them all. Probably. 
she was actually the family member that secured an expert lawyer for Lance's defense. And the family more than willingly used the proceeds from Bill's life insurance to fund Lance's defense. Oh, uh, this is unusual. It's so unusual. But it just speaks to how much everybody recognized that Bill was a monster. After the fact. No, well, they would have had to have seen that or else they wouldn't be trying to get Lance off. Right. But it wasn't until they started putting it all together that they realize what the total effect was that he was having on his children. Right. It's just very remarkable that this is what's happening. It is. The support for Lance is so incredible, considering that he is actually in the murderous dirtbag role. Lance followed his attorney's counsel and pleaded guilty and chose to have his sentence be determined by a jury. A jury would allow for more emotion and sympathy than a judge. And his lawyers told him that pleading guilty would help see him more favorably as a remorseful victim. That way, they would be more willing to give him a probation-only sentence. And that's what they were going after. And you have probation-only for a first-degree murder charge? You can, as long as there's no prior convictions and the sentence received is less than 10 years. Okay. And this is for Texas at the time. That's right. Okay. But I just find the courtroom strategy that these lawyers implemented so fascinating. Very smart. Mm Mm-hmm. Jury selection was huge for this case, and I'm sure it's huge for every case, but for this one in particular, it made all the difference because they would be deciding Lance's sentence. The defense wanted people who saw things in shades of gray. They wanted people that had experience with abuse or had been victims that could understand the anger and sympathize with Lance. The prosecution was after people who saw black and white only. Murder was murder and should be punished. At the end of the jury selection, eight women and four men were chosen. Lance's defense team argued that there were extenuating circumstances and argued for only a probation sentence to be given. The defense argued that for first-degree murder, a life sentence was appropriate. And I think we would be with them. No? That's usually what we're going for, is we want them to have a life sentence? Yeah, I might be somewhere in between on this one. I don't know that a life sentence is appropriate. It'll be interesting to hear our listeners weigh in. Yeah, I haven't decided yet, but I am on the edge of my seat wanting to hear how this turns out. Because like you said, murder is murder. Mm -hmm. And some things are revealed during the sentencing trial that I don't think paint Lance in the greatest light either. But I'm still on the fence about it. During the sentencing, along with all the other abuse coming to light, a fuller picture of what it had been like to live in the Butterfield home after playoffs began to emerge. The day after the loss, Bill had started Lance on a training regime for baseball. There would be no rest for Lance. Bill now turned his energy into making sure that Lance would be a pro baseball player. Bill had believed that Lance's poor performance was the result of a lack of discipline. He told Lance that he had been too easy on him as a child and that he hadn't beaten him enough. He asked Billy to cut him a piece of wood to use as a paddle. Billy ignored the request, not really thinking too much about why his dad had wanted a paddle. He was just overdoing his dad's bidding. When Billy didn't do what his father requested, Bill fashioned his own paddle using a pair of paddle ball rackets and wrapped them tightly together with heavy black duct tape. Every day after school, Bill would wail away on Lance's buttocks as he leaned over the bed like he had when he was a child. Between blows, Bill would taunt his son and say, 
quote, you going to be a mama's boy and cry? Goodness. Not only is that abusive, but humiliating, which I guess is a type of abuse, too. Yeah. Lance tried his hardest not to shed a tear. Instead, he promised himself that he would try harder to please his father. A psychiatrist that examined Lance for 10 hours testified that Lance had PTSD from years of abuse. Psychiatrists explain, like you had already alluded to, Christy, that the occasional acts of kindness displayed by Bill, like buying Lance a truck or buying new clothes or buying pizza for him and his friends, created a trauma bond between the two of them that explained Lance's willingness to obey his father, even if there wasn't an eminent threat. The same psychiatrist also commented on Bill's mental state after reading his diary that he had kept and said that Bill was, quote, displacing pain from inside himself onto his wife and children when he beat them. Lance took the stand during the sentencing trial and tearfully shared what had happened the morning of December 27th. He told the jury that when he recognized that his father was following him again, that, quote, seeing him sitting in the driveway triggered so many memories. I wasn't thinking sports. I saw my mom being pushed around. I saw my older brother and his family who lived a block away avoiding our house. I saw my family wasn't a family anymore. I saw misery. He explained candidly how he had begun to see violence as a way to make the abuse in his home stop, and that at the time he had seen no other solution. This solution had been coming to his mind slowly over time. At first, he began to think about his father dying, and then those thoughts turned to ways his father could die. He thought about a car crash. His dad never wore a seatbelt, and he wouldn't likely survive a crash. The thought evolved into Lance crashing the car with his dad in it, trusting that the driver's side airbag would protect him, but not his dad. Lance started thinking that killing his dad was the only option. He thought about stabbing him in his sleep. As Lance told the jury that he had thought about killing his dad prior to the shooting, he was adamant still that he loved him but he just didn't see another solution at the time. Well, and he had been taught that if you have a problem, you beat it, like physically harm it. Yeah. The prosecution team painted a very different picture of Lance. Lance was a straight-A student who could have known that support was available and that there were people out there to help him. All he had to do was reach out and ask. It wasn't like he didn't understand that. And he had at one point gone to his friend's house to try and flee his father, but knew that his mom would not be okay if he left. And so he felt obligated to go back to save her. Mm -hmm. But the prosecution also pointed out that Lance had admitted to planning his father's murder, that he had been thinking about it for months. They argued that Lance had shot his unarmed defenseless father while Bill had begged him to call 911. He shot twice because he was angry that his father had stopped the relationship between Lance and Kim. Well, and he did have time to make a million other choices. He did. A big blow to Lance's case was evidence that the prosecution provided from letters that he had sent Kim. They used this to prove his motivation was the relationship. A few weeks before the shooting, Lance had written Kim a letter that said he, quote, had plans for dad that he would shock her and everyone else about how he would shoot Bill when no one else was around. The letter also stated, quote, What my dad doesn't know is he's pushed me to the last straw, and my plans will probably go into effect when I feel the time is right. Ooh. Starting to see him in a little bit different of a light, hey? 
The prosecution also had Kathy read parts of a letter that Lance had sent Kim after the shooting in January that they claim showed Lance had no remorse. On January 24th, 1996, Lance had sent Kim a letter that said, quote, I can't wait to get my life back. This ain't going to beat me. I let my dad do it for 18 years. No more. A lot of people know how strong of a person I am. Only thing this will do is make me stronger. Do you think the world or you can handle me? Interesting. Well, it feels like he believes that this is the only way to get his life back, even if it meant that his life would be behind bars. Yeah. And during this period of time that Lance is sending these letters, this was after his arrest and he was released on bail. But it was during a time that they couldn't even proceed to indict him yet because his mental health was so fragile. And these are the kinds of letters that he's writing. There was one psychiatrist that said that maybe this was him masking everything and trying to create a different persona. Probably. But if he was too mentally unstable to even be indicted, was he too mentally unstable to be tried for this? No, they felt he was mentally stable enough to be tried. Okay. So he had cleared all that evaluation. Yeah, they had to wait till March to do that. Okay. But I think it's important to note that when he was sending this letter after the fact, this is during a time that he was pretty unstable. Okay. After the closing arguments, the judge outlined the options to the jury. They could return a sentence of life for the guilty plea, or they could determine a lower amount of years. If a sentence was over 10 years, jail time would be mandatory. A full probation sentence was only allowable if the sentence given was under 10 years. And this was because, like I said, Lance had no priors. During the 15 hours of jury deliberations that started on August 26, bitter shouts could be heard coming from the jury room. And a note was actually sent out to the judge at one point that read, quote, We are close to coming to punches. Wow, they just could not agree. No. So is this going to mistrial? Can you mistrial with a... You can, because they couldn't decide. You can mistrial. And that's exactly what happened. But this just shows how passionate everybody was feeling about this. Yeah. But it's got to be so hard as a jury member to determine what's justice when the lines between victim and dirtbag get so blurred. Very true. And we've seen this happen in more than just this case. Mm -hmm. At the end of the deliberations, no consensus was reached. When the deliberation started, the jury had initially been split six for probation and six for a sentence. Oh, right down the middle. Mm -hmm. At the end, there was one person that held out for a life sentence and 11 that had agreed to a five-year sentence. The one juror that held out said that he could not, in conscience, go anywhere below 15 years. And the other one said that they would not go any higher than five. So we have a deadlock. Yeah, the judge declared a mistrial. Everything would have to be redone. Three months later, on the eve of the second trial, a plea bargain was struck. Both lawyers weren't feeling confident about their odds of winning the case. The prosecution felt that the chance for another hung jury was high, even with the new evidence that they planned to introduce. There had been allegations made that Lance had left a threatening voicemail to Kim's mom, Barbara. If it was true, the prosecution might be able to prove that Lance was still a violent person and would be able to sway the jury into giving him more of a sentence. The defense team said, though, that that was all just a ploy, and Lance denied ever making a call and even agreed to do a voice analysis to prove it. And interestingly, this wasn't the first time that the prosecution team had tried to kind of twist the facts. 
During the first trial, they had tried to slander Lance's character using a picture supposedly taken after the shooting to say that more bullet holes were found in the headboard after the shooting. They did this to make it seem like Lance was this gun-happy guy that he was just shooting up the house. But this was rebutted by an FBI expert that the defense team called. That is super shady of them. It was. And so there's this whole thing that comes out just before the second trial of Lance being this threatening guy, threatening Barbara, Kim's mom, because she wouldn't let Kim see him. And what did Barbara say? Did Barbara say that he had made this phone call to her? Yeah, Barbara believed that it was Lance. And so they were going through these other court proceedings and the defense team said it was all a ploy. Lance agreed to do a voice analysis. He said it wasn't him. But it never actually comes to fruition because they actually reach a plea. That's interesting. I'm curious about that. Because if they were willing to fabricate other evidence, then that means they were willing to fabricate this. Yeah. And that's how I feel about it. Because it was all just kind of dropped hush-hush quickly after when the defense team called their bluff. But it did create a lot of headlines and a lot of negativity towards Lance. Yeah, it would. Lance's lawyers, though, they weren't feeling confident either. Even though they knew the prosecution didn't have any new evidence, they also knew that they would have a less sympathetic jury. After reviewing pre-screening surveys by the potential jurors, they felt that there would not be enough support to grant a probation-only sentence. So both sides were feeling nervous about their chances, and a plea deal was born. At the encouragement of his lawyers, Lance pleaded guilty to manslaughter in exchange for a three-year sentence and he would be eligible for parole after 24 months. That's nothing. It is nothing if you consider it it was premeditated first-degree murder that he committed. Yeah, that is shocking. Isn't it? I wasn't sure how I felt about this. Because we've talked about in so many cases before of, oh my goodness, why didn't they just keep him in jail? Why did they let him off? And Lance is a good guy, or he sounds like a good guy, but he also planned killing his dad. While he wasn't distressed, though. Mm -hmm. It's true. You can't deny that he was being abused and was distressed. And many people would compare him to almost a battered wife syndrome. But he also did kill somebody. It's true. It's a tricky situation when it's cases like this. Because had he not been so abused by his father, I don't think he would have killed anybody ever. No, I don't believe he would have. This isn't like our serial killer who has this huge criminal past and keeps getting out and doing all these horrific things and just causes havoc everywhere that they go. And that was a lot of the defense team's arguments was that Lance was not a violent person. Right. But 24 months minimum in jail is really nothing. And that is shocking because he still did plan and execute this murder. So I'm not saying that he should be locked away for life. I really don't feel like he should have. But I'm just shocked that it's 24 months minimum. Three years maximum. That's a holiday. Well, there were many that didn't want him to even go to jail at all. They wanted him just to have probation. Yeah, but that's a fine line because then that sets a precedence that, oh, if I'm abused, I can murder somebody and not go to jail. Absolutely. So that's a scary path to take as well. Yeah. And prior to this plea bargain, the prosecutor had never settled for less than a 28-year sentence for a parasite case before. So they were really nervous about it. Mm -hmm. And so would there be probation after that three years or just after three years it's done? He had one year probation. One year. Yeah. Lance was imprisoned on the GIST unit of Texas Department of Corrections in Beaumont. 
During that time, he stayed in shape by doing arm curls with buckets of water. He attended church and Bible study classes and took college correspondence courses, though he did say it was too loud to study well in prison. He was a favorite prisoner of the guards because he kept his hair neatly combed, his uniforms were spotless, and he was unfailingly polite. Lance would say that the guards would, quote, yell and cuss a lot at the new prisoners to see if they could get under our skins. Lance told reporters at the time that, quote, it's not a problem for me. I've had lots of experience with yelling. Oh, yeah, it wouldn't faze them. No. Lance also tried to finish his letter to his father in prison, but still found it difficult. He had nightmares about his father and had difficulty coping and coming to grips with what he had done. When he thought about the shooting, he said, quote, when I think about it, I see a part of me leaving my body, walking down the hall and shooting my father. And there's another part of me saying, don't do it, don't do it. On February 11, 1999, 15 months after he was sentenced, parole board members agreed to release Lance on November 8th, four days shy of the second anniversary of his sentence. The decision was made by a vote of two of the 18 parole board members. The board said the decision was easy because all the victims agreed that Lance should be let out. They didn't have anybody fighting against his release. That's true, where normally you would have the victim's family come protest. And instead, they were doing the exact opposite. He returned home to live with his mom in the same house that he had shot his father. In one comment to reporters before his release, he said he was looking forward to being able to go home and make sure she was okay. Lance was required to meet with a parole officer once a month until November 7th, 2000. There was no special conditions placed on his parole. And I thought this was super interesting because most have a weapon span. If you've committed a murder, you have a weapon span when you're released, but he doesn't even have that. But really, I don't think he's a threat to society. No, I don't think so either. But I think it would just be a common like, okay, you shot somebody, you don't get to use guns anymore. Right, it should be. Mm -hmm. After his release, Lance told reporters, quote, I don't want people to think what happened is right. He regretted shooting his dad, but felt at the time that there was no other way out. He had been taught to keep the abuse a secret, so felt he couldn't discuss it with friends or family. Silence and pretending were a way of life in his home, and that is how they had all learned to deal with the abuse. It was beyond his understanding that there were supports available and that they just wouldn't make it worse. He said that had he been able to understand that help was available, the shooting never would have happened. Lance went on to say, quote, I'm just glad I don't have to come home anymore to the hell that life was, but I wish my father was here to experience this family. What might have been if only he had gotten help. Since leaving prison, Lance completed a dual degree at Texas Christian University in Fort Worth in 2003, and other than a DUI in 2018, has remained completely out of trouble. He was married in 2011 to an absolutely beautiful person inside and out and they now have two children of their own. And that is the case of the abused and confused athlete-turned-dirtbag Lance Butterfield, whose domineering, sports-obsessed father pushed him to murder. Wow. What a cautionary tale. I'm not going to lie. After researching this case, I was a little bit more like, okay, go out and have fun. Don't even worry about the score. (laughs) Oh, I bet. This is such an extreme case. And I hate to say it, but I think one way or another, it would have ended in murder. I think so, too. I think very clearly that that's where it was headed. Even Bill in his journal writing 
had alluded to that saying, if I don't do something, I'm going to explode. It's going to be me. It's going to be you. It's going to be us. Or I'm going to hurt the kids even more. Oh, yeah. He was a danger. Mm -hmm. And really, Lance had been taught since a baby that you just smile and endure the abuse. Yeah. And that if you do protest, you make it worse. Mm -hmm. And so I think that contributed to him never seeking outside help. Mm -hmm. And when he had, his dad escalated his behavior. There are some that feel, though, that Lance received such a light sentence because of his sports reputation. Bernard Goldberg, a HBO correspondent, pointed out that, quote, I think three things saved Lance. He was genuinely a nice kid. He was a good athlete in a part of the country where that counts. And his father was seen as an SOB. As a matter of fact, I think that with any one of those things missing, Butterfield would have been sitting in jail right now. If he had been an excellent math student instead of a football standout, Lance Butterfield may have spent much more time in prison. There have been other cases across America where a kid shoots his dad, but most of the time that kid was not a great athlete and that kid gets serious time. Lance Butterfield is not the only kid in America who had a pushy father. That is true. It is. We've seen cases like that, and they do do a lot more time than two years. It's true. And we all know if you've been to high school, and I think even more so in the United States, that sports is gold. If you're a star athlete, you're carrying the town. Mm -hmm. Like even the town is behind you. I thought it was sad. I did find an article from the coach that had said something to Bill in 1991. He said he couldn't even remember Lance's name, but he did feel guilty about what his comment might have caused and said, quote, please tell Lance I'm very, very sorry for any hurt I may have caused. Oh, he is not to blame at all. He was being a nice guy. And honestly, Bill would have taken this course one way or the other. He would eventually have got there, I think. He wasn't just going to give up. As soon as Lance was the only kid left at home, he would have noticed Lance. Exactly. He had to be focused on someone living the life that he didn't get to. Mm -hmm. And so it would have eventually turned to Lance since he was younger and would have been at home longer by himself. But I do think it's a fascinating case study about not only being silent about abuse, but the importance of dealing with one's own disappointments and emotions. Oh, yeah. Cases like this are always debatable. Some people will feel really strongly that he should have spent the rest of his life in prison. And others think, like some of those juror members did, that he shouldn't have even spent a day in jail. So it'll be interesting what everybody thinks. And we hope you do comment on our social medias about your thoughts on this case. We really do like hearing from you and your thoughts. And we'll be back again next week when Christy has another case. Until then. See ya. Bye. It just feels like every season is hockey season for you. <laughs> like, what you doing this weekend? Hockey. You can't put that in there. But... <laughs> I'm totally putting it in there. No, because no, it's going to match. I make my sentences so long, people. I was like, that actually happens? Uh, yes. You're a nurse? <laughs> no. That... that can happen? <laughs> I know it can happen in the... First time that wasn't I. That wasn't the shocking part about the story, Christy. <laughs>
the shocking part was to me was them having sex right out in the open of the field. The lights were down. They didn't think anybody was there. I was hoping you were going to say 69. 69. I know. I still wanted to do it. Oh, you always get the blue slurpees, <laughs> not me. <laughs> I get the brown slurpees. <laughs> Athletic superstores. Stores or stars? Superstores? <laughs> Superstore! <laughs> America's poster parents for building children Tiger, Venus, Serena, and Todd into athletic superstore. Star! <laughs> I'm a superstore! <laughs> superstore! <laughs> okay, let's try it again. I'm just like, oh, I really don't like you! <laughs> hold it, hold it, Chrissy. Ramsey! Your face, you're like, and, just, and then you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I just oh. gotta say what's there. I'm trying to not have my storytelling voice. Your uh, podcast voice. We all have it. Hey, we're live, pal. And we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now, but we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.